Ellen on politics. Hello, welcome again to Alan on Politics. I've been saying on this show that I hope my presentations inspire discussion. Well, this week I had the opportunity to engage in a discussion about the topics on the show with my friend Patty Rose, who invited me to be on his Spent the Rent podcast. You can find that full conversation on the Patty Rose YouTube channel or through his website at strpod.com. That's for Spent the Rent podcast, str pod.com. But today I'm going to present you with an edited version of that show. If you enjoy it, do check out his show, Spent the Rent. I've been a big fan of, of you for a long time. I started following your work, just really Facebook with star voting uh, <laughs> quite a while ago. And I've had you on a couple times. We talked about uh, at the time you were doing social advance and Oregon news and views on YouTube. And then you came back on and talked about uh, your book that was really cool about the history of the Green Party in the United States. And, you know, and we had talked, one of the things that I love that I've, I've, I use now all the time, and I talk about it at work as a barber comes up in conversation, is how you had said that you kind of believe that uh, there's a such thing as a socialist libertarian. <laughs> well, I don't just believe it. I've encountered a few, and I, I usually use that label for myself when I'm yeah, forced to use the label. I've kind of started using the same thing because it really does, for me, it rings true. You know, I, 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 I want a limited government, but I want it to be super effective. You know, it's a real so. common term in, in Europe, uh, and it's usually the term they would use instead of anarchist, socialist, which just like socialist, anarchist has a kind of bad flavor in the United States because people usually think of it as people who just want to sow chaos and, um, you know, with no purpose in mind, but Really, what it has to do is uh, being suspicious of government power. Right. And right now, I mean, there's a lot of wild stuff going on that kind of tests our, our trust our, of government, you know. So faith in humanity. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think the big thing, I was just reading about it uh, before we, we got on this call, uh, you know, about the vaccine mandate for any, the federal mandate for any uh, uh, employer with over 100 employees. I'm not sure how I feel about it. You know, I'm, I'm definitely very pro-vaccine, but I don't, it doesn't even really matter how I feel about it. I know that it's going to cause a lot of, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of uh, anger. Well, <laughs> and so This is one of my more general views on, on government is that the more you try to force people to do things, they might, it might not work. It's not the best way to encourage people to change their behavior. I was yeah. thinking of this in the context of the abortion issue and the change in the law in Texas, how they just rely on punitive measures to try to decrease the number of abortions. And, you know, I lived through an era where they had laws in place and that wasn't decreasing abortions. It was just stigmatizing women who got abortions and they still found ways to get them, most of them to their, you know, to the risk of their own health. Yeah. You know, with this whole thing, uh, I don't know if I'm supposed to talk about this publicly, but I'm going to, cause that's what I do. I had a long conversation because I made kind of a snarky comment on social media. Uh, I just said that the GOP's human rights policy begins at conception and ends at birth. <laughs> and I immediately deleted it because I knew it was going to cause an uproar with a specific family member. And uh -huh. she saw she saw it before I deleted it. So uh -huh. I was like, it was minutes later. 
And her and I actually ended up having a really good conversation for about two days. For literally, it was a, an exchange every couple hours for two days. And she's my cousin. And ultimately, she had told me, and this is the part I'm not sure if I'm supposed to share, but my grandmother's mother had died from a, a botched, back, in her words, back alley abortion. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, that's exactly why it needs to have, you know, a reality conversation going on when you make you know, those things were hushed up in the old days, but they were happening. Yeah. So. It's not like we lived through an era with no abortions when it was illegal. They were happening. They used to call it back alley abortions, but it simply meant trying to keep it out of the public view so you wouldn't, you know, have doctors being arrested. Well, I know in those days, I mean, back in the day when a woman got pregnant, she dropped out of high school. You know, that was basically how that went. You just, uh, oh, where's, where's so-and-so? She just, she's gone. She must have moved. So let's talk <laughs> about, let's talk about your podcast and uh, what kind of stuff do you cover specifically? I know the first... I didn't know how to title it because politics, when I say politics, that usually means to people you're you're dealing with this passing show, the day-to-day stuff, the arguments between politicians and the fights in Congress. But I wanted to go a little deeper than that. And I thought today or yesterday, I came up with the idea of saying this is deep politics, where I try to go into what exactly do we mean by certain words like democracy or property or freedom? And how did these things come to be? You know, what led up to the point that we're at now? How could they be different? So trying to give a, a big picture as well as talk as specific things that you could do if you're interested in politics. Um, just a different approach to it. Now, a political show, obviously, the, the little bit that I've known you over the last few years, a couple of years, uh, it's obvious that you're passionate about politics. And like you had said, whatever that truly means. <laughs> but what <laughs> has let's talk about what has brought us both to our political views. Uh, you start, I wanna talk about how it is that you came to your political views of, like you had said, a quote, self-proclaimed uh, socialist libertarian. Well, it gets, gets to be a pretty long story because I'm getting to be kind of old. Um, I would say in, in two ways, it, overtly it started because I was in my late teens during the Vietnam War and uh, had the draft hanging over my head. So I had, to pay attention to that as it got as I got closer to 18 and had registered for the draft, um, it was really what kind of decision you're gonna make if they if they want to draft you. And the feeling of the government having control of my life like that, that they could actually yank me out of my home and send me to some far-off place to do things they really didn't think were number one, things I didn't want to do, and number two, things that I didn't believe were making a positive difference in the world. I, by that time, everybody, I think most everybody knew that the war didn't make sense. It's a lot like our um, Afghanistan. Uh, it goes on and on, even though people know we're not getting anywhere. We're not, we're not winning a war. We're not improving their lives. So it's got to come to an end sometime. Are you going to be the last guy to give your life for a losing battle? Yeah. Well, so anyway, that's how I got started. Um, and that's, that's why I have this libertarian streak, number one, because the feeling that government can do whatever they want to you, they have the power to do that if they choose to use it. And they don't always use that power well. I mean, they're human beings, they're fallible, and sometimes they're, they can be um, make decisions for the wrong reasons and even be aware of it, just like I suppose lots of people do. Most of us at some time do things for the wrong reasons. But the other thing was growing up in a household that wasn't rich and wasn't poor, but my father hated his job. And that made me think about economics and how the world worked and why were people unhappy and how, 
Why, why did things work the way they do? Um, and as I got older, the interest in the economy was deepened when we went through all these economic problems in the 1970s. You know, people often talk about how the 50s and 60s were so good for a lot of people because, you know, wages were going up and it was easy to buy things. You could buy a house on a single income and all this. But in the 70s, that all changed. You had really skyrocketing inflation and lines at the gas stations. And it just opened my eyes to how fragile our whole system was. And so it directed me toward, well, how does the economy work and what does politics have to do with it? And from that point, you know, there's a continual interest. It, it uh, when it started to escalate again, for, for reasons I'm not going to dive into right now, this story will take up more than the hour we want to talk. Uh, but I went into uh, graduate school in political science to learn more about how things worked and what I could do about it. And after that, had no job prospects other than a political scientist. So I did that for about 10 years and taught and thought about it more. And then I, then I got itchy to, okay, you, you don't have much time to do something about politics. So I got out of that and started in trying to do something and really started with the ranked choice voting stuff in about 2004. Um, and, I, you know, I want to say, I mean, the when I've observed your work and read about, you know, your career in different ways, I don't think it's that you didn't, it, it's, it's that you couldn't find your lane in the mainstream area because you, you have great ideas. There's so <laughs> many people with great ideas, but this two-party system of basically it's like two, you know, it's like a snake with two heads kind of thing. It's so ridiculous. And so many people are so tired of it. Mm -hmm. so, I mean, you ran for, for secretary of state in Oregon for the green party, but we talked about that before. It's like, there's almost this feeling of like, well, I know it's not going to really go anywhere. You know, you know, when you run yeah. for these, third, we talked about that at length and I really encourage anyone listening to go back and check out that episode I did with you where we talked about third parties and why that not being viable, you know, death grip mm -hmm. that the two parties have over the, the third parties is so frustrating, you know, because there's people that I think would, a lot of people would relate to. And so yeah, I don't know. I, I I've, I've seen that in my lifetime over the decades is that more and more people dropping out of the Republican and Democratic parties, not just not registering the voters. Yeah, there's yeah. a boatload of so-called independents or not affiliated voters, but also people who actually do vote consistently for those parties or register with them would still not would they like to have a different choice. They're not happy with them. Yeah. And I mean, now we see ourselves so divided because, you know, this this segues into to what I want to, oh, let me actually talk about a little bit about, you know, we, we, I wrote you, you had told me this question and we wanted to talk about it. What had brought us to our political views and oh, I'll, yeah. I'll kind of explain on why I got to mine, yeah, please. you know, is that, is that, you know, I was raised in an interesting home where my mother was a lesbian, single mom. And then my every other weekend dad was remarried. And I don't want to bash him by saying this. Cause I think that he, he has a lot of strengths. But my dad divorced, my, my parents were divorced and my dad wanted to just kind of act like it didn't happen and, and recreate the perfect, you know, picket fence family home and then just kind of act like it didn't happen. And I almost feel like it was convenient for him because he didn't have to be a dad all the time, hmm. you know. And so he was very conservative because his attitude was if you work hard, that good things will happen for you. And my mom had a work ethic, but she also had empathy and, and a lot of different things that were, would get in the way because she would break down, you know, you know, where she was like having mental breakdowns. And so 
you know, trying to find her way as a single mom in the eighties. Now my dad always helped, always paid child support. That was never even something they had to fight about in court. He always stepped up and helped her and helped her above what would legally be expected. But in a lot of ways, he still, that I could talk for days. Point is, is that my mom wasn't very political, but what she taught me was about kindness, about learning each individual's soul and spirit and, and finding what is good in everyone. Cause every single person, even the worst murderous criminal is a human being that inside has a story. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what she taught me. She said, no matter what anyone says, does anything, there's still a person that is, has an ability for redemption and is special, you know, and that's the way you should look at everyone. My father just focused on the things he could control, you know? And so I was, I've always kind of been like, wow, I need to find, (laughs) I need to find my middle ground in that. Mm -hmm. And I'm grateful for the political aspect that my dad is conservative still to this day, because I, I, I've had to think about pleasing my father because he's my father and keeping him happy was, was one of my main goals as a kid. And so I've had to navigate how to deal with that. And at this point in my life, I just have, we just have to not talk about it because he, you know, because he's never, ever tried to consider what anyone else's reality is because that challenges him too much, Yeah, you know, and it gets in the way. That's unfortunate, but it's good for you because it gives you insight into how other people think. Right. And so as far as my views, I don't even know how I, it really came to be. I mean, as far as being a Democrat, uh, my mom was a lesbian. It was, it's that simple. If they're going it, to, it's, it's really that simple. If you're going to say, and so as far as one issue voting, I, I, marriage equality was number one to me from mm-hmm. about the age of 10 or 11 years old. When my mom came out that she was a lesbian. And I, I basically was like, well, that's not even an option. If somebody's going to say that she's not the same and shouldn't afford this, the, the same rights, then I'm not going to have that conversation with them mm-hmm. because that's not about freedom. Then we started thinking about, you know, there was a time when we were on food stamps and I saw how it, it benefited us to use it as a bridge, not something that she was trying to monopolize on. My mom got food stamps, went to college with some help from, you know, I, I'm not exactly sure how, sure how she funded college, to be honest with you, I was too young. But in those days, it was cheaper. So she probably paid for some of it, probably got some state help. But the fact is that there was assistance where she was able to go to college, get a master's degree, get a career, work for the state, build up 19 years that she worked for senior and disabled services using her her love of people and whatnot as a you know something to motivate her to get up every day and help people and i mm-hmm. saw the government actually somewhat work for people yeah. you know in the way that she would talk to me that it's like yeah there's issues and you got to jump through hoops and now my partner today she's a data analyst for the county and she explains to me constantly about different issues but also about how it's working about ways that they're she loves what she does and when people talk about government like this big mean thing it's like government is your local you know people there's people in your community it's not just the federal government the local government the county the state and all that stuff there's a lot of people like my partner and my mother that loved what they did yeah you know i love what they do and i don't want to get all all too too so i don't know it's just interesting now my father i have respect for and I've been able to navigate conversations with people with more of a conservative mindset because I actually respect it to an extent, because I do think that they're not wrong, that hard work can, can bring you good things. But I think it's short-sighted to think that's everything. Well, you and, know? and it's not a guaranteed path. No, yeah. you know, and, and that's the truth be told you're for gonna, him. You're gonna have a better chance if you work hard at something than if you don't, but still the chances of it's 
not not guaranteed. Well, and he works in printing. And so when you work in printing and it's 2021. Oh, big change. Yeah. And so, you know, navigating that, and obviously it's easy to blame that the fact that no one uses paper anymore to, you mm -hmm. can blame it on Obama all you want, but Obama didn't create the internet. That was Al Gore. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, thank you, Al Gore. Uh, or, so, you know, there was one, one part of your, your, what you said about your past was particularly interesting to me, how you learn values like kindness. And it, it led me to thinking about how, you know, I was raised in a religious household, not I, I don't mean by that like a real deep into it, but it's kind of taken for granted thing in our lives. And we have this example of Jesus loving the least of us. And then that had an effect on me. And in fact, for after, after I'd left my home church as a teenager, I came back to it in adulthood for a long time. And that that's really big part of how I became uh, interested in social justice because saw more and more of those themes in the Bible which apparently is a different Bible than some conservatives are reading, but it would well, be more in that direction. And I had the same experience. You know, I was raised Lutheran, which I always joke is diet Catholic. And so, <laughs> and so, and I had Those the same calories. Experience. Yeah. And my dad, you know, I might talk about his political views about work and economics, like you were talking about before, but he taught me about kindness and respect and treating, treating. I mean, I don't want to be, I know it's the, the world has changed, but the way I was raised was to treat women with respect. You know, like it, like when, when your partner, he's a Christian man, so he has this one lane attitude. But that being said, he instilled that in me that you do not degrade women and you do not hurt children. And, you, you know, you, these kind of things that you tell the truth and that your word is bond. That was mm -hmm. something that was really important to him as well, that your word is, is everything. That being said, those messages were so positive and i think it's very true what you're saying about you know reading the bible and actually seeing social justice in it like i think that jesus was a socialist <laughs> you know so so you know, i mean I, I think i i want that to be clear when i talk about my father that that it was he's somebody also that taught me kindness my mom taught me more empathy my father taught me morals you know well, i think most people really want to do what's good for other people they just have very different ideas about what that might be and as you said of your sister there's different views of the government. Is, is it largely a force for the good, large, not at all force for the good, or is it a mixed bag or what is it? People have very different views. And of course, it's an, impossible to prove one way or the other, is the government more, do, do more good in the world than evil? Because how do you, how do you assess all that? How do you assess everything the government is doing, the government, we have a number of governments in our country. How, how do you assess everything the government is doing let alone decide which are good, which are bad, which are neutral, which are somewhat this way, somewhat that way. I mean, nobody really has a way to assess that. So it's like a pre-existing mindset as to how you feel about the government that's gonna color a lot of your views. Do you think that it's possible to have limited government and police? Like, like libertarianism and this conservative mm -hmm. attitude they, they're pro-police. They're always like, you know, blue lives matter, whatever the hell that means. Libertarians. And yeah, but they still want police, you know, because who gets to decide those laws? That's what government's job is supposed to be, is create yeah. the legislature. Well, most libertarians are more um, pro-capitalism. So they just, it's doggy dog and the guns will win. Well, basically. the big thing is you got to have a police force to enforce property rights in capitalism. Yeah. But that's the main function, really. Uh, well, as to your question, I think I can imagine an ideal world where you don't need police. 
And I would sure hope to move toward that. In general, it's, it's the principle of let's do things with at, at the minimal of coercion and violence, the minimal. We don't know what that is yet, but it's less than what we're using now. We, we, should, we need to stop demonizing people who, who we disagree with on strategy, oh. on strategy. You know, because politics, a lot of what it is to me is a, it's, a, it's a belief in a certain system or strategy. It's like you believe that maybe if you tax the wealthy who's literally making money off of all of us, like, for example, I'm, I'm a believer, at least my ears perk up when I start hearing about Andrew Yang talking about on a federal level, it would not work on a state level because they have to balance the budget. But when they talk about, uh, you know, what is it called? Oh, my gosh, I'm running a blank. Where basically, yeah, universal basic income, UBI. That I like the idea. The reason he said, or the way that he said he could fund it is on how Google or uh, all these different organizations, Google, uh, Amazon, Facebook, whoever, sell your information over and over and over again. And you don't even see it. You know what I mean? You don't even see mm-hmm. the transaction. And there's a minuscule tax on all of those transactions. Because it's one level of conversation to talk about, well, is it possible to fund something like this? Is it, how would we do that? The practical questions of implementation. But for me, deep politics goes to questions that people have like, won't people just be lazy if they get a basic income? And that goes to human nature questions. What do you think about people? You know, do they have this inner urge to do something, contribute good to the world? And that's why they want to work, have a role. Or are they just tempted to sit around and do nothing? What do you really think about other human beings? That's a deeper question, a harder one to ask. But I think people have to bring forth those assumptions to have a productive conversation with somebody else. Otherwise, they're just talking past each other. Well, I was got, I got so off track. Yeah, I was talking about how we need to find ways to stop demonizing each other so that... Yeah you know, we can talk about strategy. And it's interesting because some of these so-called libertarians that I keep alluding to have talked about, you know, Andrew Yang, he's all, he's interesting. Bernie Sanders back in 2016. Oh, they're like, I kind of like Bernie. I don't know if it was because they didn't think that he was going to win, you know, be, but I think that there's truth to the fact that there is more socialist to libertarians than lead on. And, and how do we, how do we deal in a world where people see us, you know, as a one-dimensional thinker where it's like you're a social by labels you know and that's why i think it's really cool that you've labeled yourself something on both extremes (laughs) you know you know (laughs) part part of the reason i like the word is because it forces people to think well how the heck do you put those together a socialist libertarian and i think it's very true i think that that exists and i think that i'm one of them (laughs) uh let's talk about something that collectively as an american as americans that we're stuck in this together and that's september 11th yeah 20 years later you know, in Afghanistan, we can point the blame on Biden for pulling out. We can point the blame on Bush for getting us in, for putting it in, pulling it out, putting it in, whatever. Ooh. Uh, so now <laughs> I have a whole different image. Of my yeah, mind. different image. No, no. But, 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 you know, I mean, I think that it's been shown that we had Bush, Obama, Trump, Biden. They they pretty much it's it's the military industrial complex, <laughs> you know, doing this, doing the bidding. I mean, Trump was pulling was going to pull out of Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. He was. He laid down the foundation and Biden went through with it. And I'm, I'm pretty critical of the way that it's been done. Did anything in the exit make us more vulnerable when it comes to terror? And do you think that we were actually even there for any reason to fight it? <laughs> <laughs> if it were there for any reason. Uh, it reminds me so much of Vietnam. And a lot of people from my generation are immediately going to think of the parallels. 
but a lot of it is presidents trying to save face, which is a real, um, what's the word that goes beyond shame? It's almost criminal that they would send other people to fight battles and, and risk death and serious injury, and as well as killing other people in that country, because they know they can't win, they can't achieve their goals, but they don't want to be the one who pulled it out. Now, I at least give Biden the credit for being the one willing to say, it's time to stop because this is not going anywhere. He didn't do it very smoothly. You know, Richard Nixon was able to do it a lot to his advantage, even though he was, you know, had prolonged it a lot longer and a lot of people died than in, in any sense necessary, or even in a sense that he could have believed it was going to get, come to a different outcome. Uh, now, here I am living in the past talking about Richard Nixon, <laughs> but it reminds me so much of that. This presidents try to save face because power is built on image, right? And if, yeah. if the thinking is that the image America is one that cuts and run, well, first thing, they're going to come down there and bomb you for 20 years before they decide they made a mistake. So are you going to be willing to risk that? And September 11th, yeah. And yeah. why did they attack us? It wasn't because they hated our freedom, as was often said. It was because we were over there already causing problems in the part of the world they live in. So yeah. they interpreted that as this is a way to hit back at the superpower that's been messing with our lives all this time. Yeah. And, and I'm not I mean, trying to justify what they did. No, 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 no. I'm Absolutely. trying to point a finger at us and say, let's look at our own role in creating these kind of situations. So does Afghanistan pull out equal a, a less safe world? Well, it's really hard to judge because it's so unsafe now because of past actions of the United States that, well, now I'm going to be, people are going to see me as a blame America kind of guy, but I get angry about that kind of stuff. It, it's part of my personal history to have that feeling about wars and the military and have paid a lot of attention to how we get into these things. I think people have been fed a lot of lies and they're just not paying attention if they think America is purely a benevolent force in the world. Oh yeah. The American exceptionalism is a lie. There's no two ways about it. You know, and I wanted to talk earlier, and I, I'm getting off the point a little, but you had mentioned what was Vietnam. <laughs> well, yeah, Vietnam, you had talked about that again. I don't yeah. know if people my generation understand when it, when it comes to the feeling of, oh, and I'm going to get hate for this, I'm sure, because maybe I'm overseeing something, but I personally- I'm starting to hate you already. Right. No, <laughs> I, I, don't, I, don't see, I don't see something personally that, and I, I mean this with like a ton of respect, I really do. Because I don't know, you had talked about how Vietnam, you, it showed you that the government can do whatever they want with you if mm -hmm. they choose to, you know? And I don't know, I mean, I guess I've been very fortunate that I've never experienced that feeling. Like, I really don't know. And I'm not saying, oh, I don't, I don't get it. That's not what I mean. I'm just like, wow, that's really heavy to me. Yeah. You know, I, I'd be interested to hear what, what people think are examples of, of how, you know, like I had talked about marriage equality. I would imagine that there's an area where it's like the government, they're not taking you and putting you into a war, but they're not allowing you to. No, they take a lot of people and put them in jail. Right. Talk to black people and they can tell you about yeah. the government forcing you to do things. You know, yeah. they could do whatever they want with you and people won't even believe you. Right. I mean, their right. position to me was a lot worse than the position I was in. Yeah, that's a good point. And that's, I mean, that's exactly the example because, because the reality is, is that, you know, a punishment for a crime that was created, you know, maybe imbalanced if it's done to certain people. You know, it's like with with drug crimes, there's a disproportionate amount of black people that have been sent to prison for it for the same kind of thing that white people have done. You know, we have to have conversations, especially with people who don't think exactly the same as we do or have different experiences, find out what makes them tick. 
And that's why I started my podcast, because I didn't want it just to be one way me talking, but I also wanted to get feedback. What were other people thinking? How did they react to what I say? And why I welcome this opportunity to talk with you, not, not only this time, but other times, because I think it's important to hear other people's stories. How do they come to where they are? What are they thinking? You know, are, are, when I say something, are they able to hear it or do they hear it differently than I intended it? We need practice in those skills. We need a lot of practice in those skills because our country has um, a deficit of the ability to communicate. Yeah, that's that's a fact. That's a fact. Well, Alan Zundel, <laughs> I could talk to you for hours. Uh, it's really cool to get to chat with you. It always is. And I think, you know, you have a wealth of knowledge on this kind of stuff. And you've got quite a, you know, long history of experience uh, discussing it and, and analyzing it and all that kind of stuff. And so yes. there's a lot. There's uh, a lot may there. not be around for long, so you better take advantage of that while you can. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, that could be true for all of us. A couple of weeks back, we were talking about climate change. And one of my customers is a, is a uh, client scientist. And he was telling me, he's like, oh, Patrick, just nonchalantly. He's like, yep, 60 years. That's what I figured human life, human kinds have left. The human uh, race has left about 60 years. Mm-hmm. And he's like, it's not like we're going to wake up one day and it's going to be bad. It's going to get progressively worse. And then it's going to be 140 degrees outside. I'm like, what well, talk about client, uh, climate denialism. I think we're all in, to some degree in a state of denial. We're still going on with our lives because we cannot comprehend how 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 that could happen. We we can't even though it's happening and we're seeing it, we can't assimilate that knowledge. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, Alan Zundel, I appreciate you. I want to thank everybody for listening today.